Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Book of Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, the confirmation that this was the right message was that it was actually Finn's memory verse uh, too. So um, yeah, we're pulling, we're tag teaming this. Uh, He actually wrote half this message. Um, So I'm going to call him up to preach it in just a minute here. Hebrews chapter 10, just kidding, buddy. We're going to start in verse 19, and if you don't, if you don't, if you're not super familiar with the book of Hebrews, it's kind of a cool book um, because it's, we don't know who the author is. So every other book in the New Testament, we know who, who, whose hand it was that penned it. We all know that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, written by man, um, but inspired by God, and the book of Hebrews we don't even know if it was a man. It could have been a woman that wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, we know that it was written to the Hebrew people. And I believe that for this reason specifically, the author was left anonymous because the Hebrew people were, were such that they would get caught up and it would become a matter of controversy and uh, an issue over whose camp who was from and who could adhere themselves to this book. And so I think in the wisdom and sovereignty of God, um, Hebrews was left anonymous for all time. We'll know when we get to heaven, maybe. And so uh, in Hebrews, the, the writer really goes through um, the sort of Judaic tradition beliefs and breaks it down bit by bit and he walks them through how Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all the practices of the Old Testament and all of the the um, the tradition and the sacrifice and everything that had 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 made the Jewish people what they were um, Hebrews is uh, the knot between the old and new so that people who had really uh, been grounded in all of that um, truth and principle could transition it into a new covenant. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Verse 21 says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Man, what an awesome, like, run-on sentence. Thank you for another one of those New Testament. We can't even blame Paul for this that we know of, but uh, there's a lot going on here, and I want to work through some of it. If y'all need the house lights on to take notes, just let me know, and we'll fire them up just for today, okay? We save a lot of money by doing this, so, you know, I'm just... (laughs) Throw a little something extra in the box, and, you know, I'm just kidding. Um... I want, to, uh, I want to break this down because there's some stuff in this passage that's clearly outlining our job versus God's job. What is his role in the relationship and what is our role in the relationship? What is the role of Jesus versus what is the role of us? So 
We're going to jump right in. First and foremost, verse 19, forget word order, you can put it up there. But the principle of this passage doesn't start with our confidence, it starts with the blood. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood, by the blood, nobody likes to talk about the blood anymore. Nobody likes to sing about the blood anymore. It seems like it's just sort of archaic. Um, but the truth is, is that we have to get back to the truth and the power of the blood of Jesus. If we don't, we have nothing. Without the blood of Jesus, we have nothing. My sincere concern with a lot of the trajectory of teaching today and doctrine is that we're trying to make it work. We're trying to make it more believable. And so for people who can't reconcile, for instance, the idea of hell, what's a theme so forever? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's forever. For people, so, so we come up with these theologies that are like, uh, that, that, will, that will help us understand things that are kind of hard to understand. And by helping us, what they're really doing is they're just tweaking it just a little bit, just enough, so that it's not so hard to believe. But saints, when we base the value of truth on how believable it is, when we base the value of truth on how believable it is, we don't diminish its potency because that's impossible, but we do diminish its product. Because the really important things, let's just say, uh, let's just say, well, I'm not going to say that's not true, but I'm also not going to talk about it. Well, you just erased from your life the, the product of that truth. And here's the crazy thing. The harder it is to believe, the more fruit it wants to produce in your life. And I, I want to encourage you, you know, um, was it Jack Nicholson that said the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? You can't handle the truth. Oh, yeah, it was like every judge ever in the history of America that said, yeah. The, the, the deal is this. We can't handle the truth. The truth handles us. We have to stop trying to make the truth something that's a little bit more digestible or a little bit more believable or a little bit more uh, understandable or a little bit more relatable. In an effort to become more relevant, in an effort to become more trendy, in an effort to become more uh, attractive or appealing, we have not at one, not one iota have we diminished the potency of what real truth is because we can't touch that. But we have diminished the product. And saints, I believe that as we're growing, as we're moving, and as the Lord is peeling the lid off of stuff, um, I think he's drawing us back to hard things, hard truths. This is happening not always or just from the pulpit, but it's happening in people's lives. It's happening as uh, the contrast between kingdom and culture grows starker and, and, and starker every day. And we're choosing every day which side of this thing we're going to land on. And so I want to encourage you, when the truth of a situation gets hard, as Dave Andrade once told me, Zach, the harder thing is usually the right thing. Well, 
the harder thing to believe very well may be the right thing. And so I want to encourage you, saints, don't shun away from that. The truth is hard to understand because we're constantly trying to, to read the gospel through our filters. We're constantly trying to draw whatever it is that we read in here through whatever culture is, is force-feeding us. And so what happens is, is uh, because the Holy Spirit and the things of the Holy Spirit, whatever the Holy Spirit's doing, whatever he's convicting, whatever he's saying or revealing today, because uh, it's hard to, to understand, saints, it ends up being hard to come by. People stop talking about it. People stop teaching it. It's funny because when I grew up, like churches didn't hide the fact that they were Pentecostal. And over time, you know, coming up, going through Bible school, moving to New England, it was, it was weird. It was almost like Pentecostal was like this derogatory sort of thing. And I would, I would say like, we're a Pentecostal church. And people would be like, I thought you were not denominational. <laughs> we are that too. We are that too. But, but why, why does nobody want to be Pentecostal anymore? Because it's hard to understand. But saints, just because the Holy Spirit is hard to understand doesn't mean he should be hard to come by. We should embrace the mysteries. I had somebody write an email in one time, and I hope you are in the room because I'm talking to you if you wrote me this email. Everybody's like, oh, I hope it wasn't me. I have to go to the bathroom. Does anybody have any snacks? Somebody wrote me this email and said uh, they, were, they were ill because I had, I had set up here that there were things that we would not be able to understand. There were mysteries um, that we would not understand this side of heaven. And they were frustrated with that because um, they felt that as believers that we should know everything. And, um, and you know, I didn't bother getting into all the New Testament places, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, well, you can read the book of Ephesians. I mean, there are things, there are mysteries that are revealed. And then there are mysteries that we just have to embrace as mysteries. Because for as long as we're still thinking with an unglorified brain, we're not gonna be able to make the connection between the synapses, you know what I'm saying? It's not gonna happen for us to really be able, when, 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 when we read folks who knew him way better than we do, say, your ways are higher than my ways. We're not going to get it. And that's okay. It has to get us. It has to get us. It has to get a hold of you. And we have to be able to embrace the fact that, hey, God, as long as, as, long as this is your heart, I'm in. I don't understand this Holy Spirit business. I don't understand some of these gifts. I don't even understand what you're doing in me. But by God, I'll let you do it. The blood of Jesus. If you're writing things down, write this down. The blood of Jesus is not powerful because of our confidence. Our confidence is powerful because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is not powerful because I believe in it. I remember there was like a, one of those cliche Christian sayings that was, everybody was popping out with like, I don't know, 15 years ago. I remember it was like, God says it, I believe it, and... 
and that settles it. And I was like, <laughs> that must have been invented in New England because we are way too full of ourselves and we would come up with something like that. Well, God said it, yes, but because I believe it, that settles it. Who do I think I am? The, the, the truth of the Lord is not contingent on whether or not you believe it. The blood of Jesus is not powerful because you finally came to a place of having confidence in it. We've watched the Lord heal people that barely believed in him. The blood of Jesus is not powerful because of our confidence. The writer says, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The next verse says, By a new and living way in which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. I want to talk about this for just a minute because very clearly here, the writer is telling people who really knew God really well, okay? Israel understood. Israel has like generations and millennia of understanding who God was. They knew like so much about him. They had heard his names. They knew his laws. They, they had, had uh, seen his glory come down. They had watched Moses uh, coming down off the mountaintop. They had heard uh, the shofars blow. They had heard the voice. They had seen the earth open up and swallow the grumblers. They, they knew of his goodness in the wilderness with the manna falling down. They, they knew who he was. And yet there was something that they didn't understand about the way in. There was something they couldn't reconcile. And it was this, that the new way in was alive. A living way in. Can you just put that verse up one more time? Uh, it's uh, 22, 20, verse 20. So we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which Jesus inaugurated for us through his flesh. A living way. You know what? some of the attributes are of something that's alive, it's always moving and it's always changing. It's always growing. That's what marks life. The way is no longer a mountaintop or a city, as Jesus tells the woman at the well, right, in John 4, when she says, hey, what's the deal with this whole worship thing? Are we supposed to be up here, down here? She's trying to change the subject and get the attention away from her, but the Lord humors her and says, neither mountaintop nor city. The way in is going to be different than you've ever known. It's going to be alive. A new and living way. You see, we gravitate towards death, don't we? We gravitate towards death. Why? Because it's very reliable. Somebody said, there's only two things for certain in this life, and it's death and taxes. We gravitate towards death because when something dies, it's always where you left it. And anytime you ever want to go back, it's right there. I have two dogs. I have a living dog and a dead dog. I have a dead dog that's buried in the yard and has been there for seven years, Lois. 
Lola, affectionately known as Lois. And then we have another dog that's alive, who's barely alive. <laughs> this dog doesn't come when you call it. If, God forbid, if you let her out, if you let Minnie out and she sees like a rabbit or a, uh, or a deer or a coyote or a fox or anything, she takes off into the woods like a bat out of hell. And it's like, well, babe, might just be time to call it a day. <laughs> but no, the kids are strapping on headlamps and Ashley's got, you know, waders on and they're out like on our search and rescue mission and I'm catching up on, you know, some show. <laughs> but but there, there's a big difference between the dead dog and the living dog. The dead dog is so faithful. She's always right where I left her. She's always there. There's a little depression. There's a little depression in the grass right there. And I scalp it with the mower every time. Because the box just kind of sank in, you know. Bless her heart. In fact, the depression's almost deep enough just to bury Minnie right on top of her. Maybe we just go down that road. There's something so reliable about death. But life, saints, life keeps you guessing. Life keeps you guessing. Life forces you to seek and to search. It requires care and observation. And it's never where you left it. And so for people who grew up in some religious tradition where, you know, they can walk away from it and then... In like five years when their life all goes to hell and they're going through a divorce and all their kids are run off and they're finally at the end of the rope, they can go back to that dead religion and it's right where they left it. And you can walk in and you can do the same thing that you grew up doing. You can take the same empty articles and you can pray the same dead, vain, repetitious prayers of the heathen and maybe feel better about yourself. But that's the old way. That way doesn't get you in. There's a new and living way. And that living way requires care and observation. It's growing and it's changing and it's moving. And anybody, anybody, anybody who has a real walk with the Lord, it doesn't look like it did 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago. The problem is because it grows, there's an expectation of maturation on our part. We have to grow with it. I, um, I remember Pastor Jackson, Pastor David Jackson was uh, my, uh, one of my professors in Bible school. And he was talking about, you know, how different his walk with the Lord is now than it was, you know, so many years ago when he first came and how his prayer life was different, but how the Lord engaged him differently and how it was harder now. It was harder. You had to push deeper. You had to go further. You had to wait longer. He had matured in his faith to a point where uh, it required of him more 
when, when you first get saved and everybody calls it like the honeymoon stage, you know, and the Lord says like answering all your prayers and you're like winning the lottery and like you finally meet your wife and, you know, everything's coming together all at once and uh, everything you pray for. But the truth is, saints, is that as we grow, the Lord begins to introduce us to real food and it takes longer to chew. And sometimes it doesn't taste like mashed up fruit with a little bit of milk, you know, and some of those like freeze-dried foam puff things that we're feeding kids. I don't know about that. But saints, I want to just, I want to encourage you here today. Don't get frustrated about where your walk is, okay? I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people and they're frustrated about where their walk is. They're frustrated about, you know, well, they're looking around and they're seeing people's prayers answered and they're seeing people healed and they're seeing this and they're seeing that. And people might be judging you on where your walk is and where your frustrations are and, 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 and that sort of, sort of thing. But if you get anything this morning, get this. Don't let someone condemn your walk when they're still crawling. We've got to understand that the Lord's got us in different places. And I get, I get frustrated sometimes with people who, you know, I remember telling this story a long time ago about um, I was jogging and when we lived back in East Providence and I had started jogging and uh, I don't even know why. What was I thinking? And so it was like five or six times total. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so I would run across the Henderson Bridge and at, when I'd run across the Henderson Bridge over into the east side, um, I remember like, you know, you, you're crossing it and you feel like you're really doing something, you know? You feel like you're swimming the English Channel or, you know, something like Olympian-ish. And, and I'm running and I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, this is like, you know, I'm like, I'm becoming a runner. This is incredible. <laughs> And uh, as I'm running and like, you know, elderly women are passing me with their walkers <laughs> and grocery carts and stuff like that. I'm thinking really highly of myself and just really proud of myself overall for my first athletic endeavor ever in the history of my life. And I look down over the bridge and there's someone not running on the pavement. They're running like trail running because there's like, you know, like sort of like a hilly, gross, overgrown thing with trails. And there's someone running down there. And as I'm looking closer, I'm like, wow, look at that guy. Okay, I'll take it easy, buddy. You know, like, we're all in this together. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking down. I'm like, oh, that guy is running with a boulder over his head like this. He's literally running with like, a, like the size of three shoeboxes, like a stone, like a cinder block size stone. And he's running with it over his head. And I'm like, take it easy. Like... <laughs> Like, you've got nothing to prove here. No one can see you right now except me. And as I got closer and as we, he starts to run under the bridge and I'm running over it and as I get closer and closer, I realize the guy is at least 150 years old. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I quit and that was the last time I ran. That wasn't the last time I ran. <laughs> uh, it was close though. The last time I ran is I was running and the cops pulled me over while I was running. Cop pulled, pulls up beside me and rolls down the window. Sir, is everything okay? It's a problem. You're running in, you're running in seersuckers and boat shoes. 
That's it, I give up. (laughs) Don't let somebody else judge your walk when they're still crawling, wherever you're at. And guys, and, and that's not something to look forwards or backwards. It's something to just understand that, that uh, there's a living way that's going to change. This new way, it's going to change. It's not going to be where you left it. That's why it's so important that you don't leave it. That's why the writer, a couple verses later, says, Stop forsaking the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Because in the old way, you could get away with that. You could show up at Christmas and Easter and be fine. But I look at the lay of the land of what God's doing in here today. And I feel like when I go on vacation for one week and I'm come back, I'm like, what happened in here? What happened in here? The kingdom is changing The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is alive. And the way in to that presence is alive too. So I want to just keep going here. Verse 21 says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let's stop right there for a second. We have this great priest, this high priest in Jesus. We come into the holy place because we have a sacrifice. But we approach because of the high priest. See, there's something interesting. There's a a difference. And if you stick around for like a handful of months, you'll hear this interwoven into a lot of my messages. um, That there there are two things that are happening. There is the blood that is sprinkled at the altar. The blood that was shed um, on, on the cross is the sacrifice. And we can't make it past the altar even towards the temple without that thing. And Jesus is that sacrifice. Jesus' blood is the atonement for our sins. The wages of our sins are death, eternal death. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the blood of Jesus brings us in. That's why we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. But... Once inside, once through that veil, Jesus' resurrection places him at the right hand of the Father. Now he's on the throne as a what? As a great high priest, making intercession for us, still interposing, still advocating. Why? Because the goal was never just to get us in the door. It was to get us to draw near. There's a theology that acknowledges the blood and the access, but it denies the blessing and approach. I think we settle a lot of times for blood and access, don't we? We settle for a sacrifice and we're like, okay, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. But if you read on here, you find out that Christianity, saints, this faith that we have adhered ourselves to, the call of God as, as a whole is not a call to come in. It's a call to come close. Why have we been preaching all these sermons, Zach, about leaning in, leaning in? You got you to gotta draw close. You got to be nearer to the Lord than ever before. Because coming in isn't good enough. Did you ever invite somebody over for dinner and, uh, you know, you've got the 
table all set and everything's all laid out and it's like all, you know, pretty dinner's fresh out, smells good, everything's all at the table. And they come in the door and they like stand right inside the door and they're like, It's a beautiful home. I can see up the stairs. Wow, this smells so good. Any chance you could bring the food to us? We really like it just like right here. Like, right, like if my heels don't have to leave the welcome mat, I'm like, this is, per this is perfect. Thank you so much for inviting us over. The invitation was never just to come in. It was to come close. I remember, you know, we got home from our honeymoon, Walnut Street. <laughs> Ashley and I are kind of traditionalists too. We're kind of, we're a little bit old school. And so, you know, she scoots me up and carries me over the threshold. <laughs> it was really beautiful. Imagine if you just get your wife home from your honeymoon and, and you come inside the door where you're going to raise your kids and you're going to cook a million dinners and you're going to, you know, do everything that you want to do with your wife and then you cross the threshold and she's like, I'm good right here. If we could just put a cot like right here by the door. Yeah, and like a microwave, little kitchenette, something like that. I'll just set up shop right here. I'm good. And you're like, but I have a whole house. I painted a bedroom for you. I had to bring all our master bedroom furniture through the second story window because it wouldn't fit around the staircase in that old house. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm in. I'm good. I'm in. By the blood of Jesus, I'm in. This was never a call just to come in. Some of you, that's what you do in church every week. You just come in. You just come in. And I want you to know that it starts by coming in. But I want you to know there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. Since we have a great high priest, let us draw near. Let us draw near. It's one thing to go to a concert and sit in the nosebleed section. It's another one to have a VIP pass and go backstage and sit down in the green room with the artist. This is an invitation to sit down with the artist. This is an invitation to draw near. This is an invitation to know him intimately. And we can because we have a great high priest, it didn't end with the sacrifice. It ends with a high priest making intercession, saying, it's okay, he's with the band. Okay, 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love this because the sprinkled and the washed are his job. Somebody just breathe that in for a second. Somebody who's been trying to get themselves clean. In fact, somebody who 
people have said to you in your life, you need to get yourself clean. No, you don't. You don't get yourself clean. You can't get yourself clean. Having been sprinkled by the blood and washed in the water, that is his job, saints. His job is to prepare. Our job is to preserve. Did you ever get kids ready for Easter Sunday? Does anybody still get their kids dressed up for Easter Sunday? We're about to find out, right, in a couple of weeks. You still do? You get them in all the like little like uh, little bonnets and seersuckers and white patent leather shoes and all that stuff. I don't even know if they still make those, but ask Amberly Pridham. She'll probably have some. But I, uh, I think about the kids, you know, and what happens, this happens to us all the time. We, we, our job, it's like we're going to help our kids, like, pick out, you know, we're going to pick out their clothes. We're going to get them dressed. Ashley's going to curl their hair. And then I'm going to get the girls ready. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it's all, it's all, everything's perfect. The outfits are picked out. They're laid out the night, the night before. It's pressed. It's all prepped. It's all whatever. And then we prepare them. But here's their job, right? You're all dressed. You're perfectly clean. Stay that way. Stay that way. Or there'll be no Easter egg hunt or something, whatever you're threatening your kids with, whatever pagan tradition you're trying to <laughs> luring your kids into. Hey, got to cast out that Easter spirit. And so I, uh, I, I, I think of it like that because I have kids and, and this, this is real. This is real life. Any single dads in the room? Do you put your kids to bed in their Easter clothes? Because I'm thinking, like, if I didn't have my wife, I'd probably just, you know, get them all dressed the night before, lay them in the bed. You know what I'm saying? No, it doesn't work. Esther's actually tried it. Not a single dad. Yeah. Oh, you tried it for you? No way. In Jesus' name. The, the thing is, the thing is about this that's so good, saints, is that, is that we do have a part to play in this, but it's not to get ourselves clean. It's not to get ourselves ready. It's to allow him to get us ready and then to stay that way. Sometimes the kids, it's like they get ready and then it's like, okay, all you have to do is stay out of the mud. All the stuff that we cleaned off of you, stay out of that stuff. That's your job, adult man-child. <laughs> Stay out of the stuff that the Lord's been faithful to get off of you. You know where you got dirty. You know where you stepped in it. It's his job to prepare. It's our job to preserve. To preserve. There's two different prayers that we pray sometimes. We say, God, make me clean versus God, keep me clean. And the thing is, is that we, like so many good things, we get stuff out of order. What we do is we take it upon ourselves to get ourselves clean. We're going to make it our job to get all this stuff out of our life. And then we're going to blame God when we can't stay clean. See what we did there? Flipped it. I'm the only one. I've got to take responsibility. I've got to do this. I've got to be this. I've got to get myself clean. Okay. You have to surrender to the Lord. You have to surrender to the bath. 
You have to surrender to the sprinkling. You have to get in the shower and let him do the washing. You have to come close. You can't just come inside. The bathroom's upstairs. You will not be bathed right inside the front door. You will be bathed in the inner sanctum of the home. You got to let him wash you. You got to leave your grave clothes behind. Now I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. We're, I'm going to end this in like five seconds. Some of y'all are like, Zach, land the plane. Jamal, just come up here and start playing. <laughs> I just, I love this passage because it so perfectly outlines for us. We, we've got to stop praying, God, keep me clean. And we've got to start living disciplined lives instead. His work is to sprinkle us with that blood. His work is to wash us by the water. Our work, our job, our discipline, our well-ordered lives ought to be lived in such a way that we can protect and preserve the cleanliness that he's put on us. But there's more. When we do mess up, he cleans us again. When we do stumble, when the kids do, the other day, Messer's little jumper thing for Easter came in the mail and she was so excited. And Ashley's out of town again on a girl's getaway and, um, <laughs> you know, stay at home dad kind of thing going on. And, uh, and she, she's so excited, her Easter thing. And so she puts it on and I'm like, and she, you know, she wants everybody to ooh and ah over it. And it's like, oh, wow, that's so beautiful. Messer, you're so beautiful. And she is, she's so beautiful, but she's such a mess. And she puts it on and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, okay, but my heart's starting to do this. I'm like, God, just let her stay clean for one minute. Just keep her clean in Jesus' name. Because Ashley's out of town and this is going to be my fault if, you know. So I'm like, okay, go change, you know, go change now, right now, right now, right now. Go change, change back. It fits, it fits, it fits, it fits. Go take it off, take it off, take it off. And then I go outside to work. And like, you know, a few minutes later, here she comes, running around the house barefoot on like a rainy day or whatever. It was like, hadn't been raining. And I'm like, Messer Lyric, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> the thing is, we love our kids. <laughs> and should they get dirty, we will be faithful to bathe them again. The father is faithful to wash you again and again and again and again. But as we mature, as we grow, as the living way in continues to bring development and process into our lives, we grow into a place where we begin to steward the cleanliness and the blood that rests on us. We stay clean. We get out of that shame cycle, that gross thing that keeps us in our mess that keeps us returning back to our vomit like a dog. That's what the word says. If you've messed up in here, saints, it's his job to make you clean. Don't think that because you've been going to church now for long enough that suddenly it's your job to make you clean. Let him wash you and then you just stay washed. And finally, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our the, the confession of our hope without wavering 
That's our job. Let us hold fast to our confession of hope. That's not his job. That's our job. We get to do that. That's our blessing. That's our privilege to hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. That's his job, to be faithful. And let us consider. That's our job. Let us consider, okay? How to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, that kind of wrecks all those people that are like, we shouldn't be doing good deeds. We should only be doing God stuff. Good deeds are God stuff. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you see the day drawing near, stand with me this morning, saints. You wanna hear something funny? That word stimulate one another, I think it's in verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another. That word stimulate is used two times ever in scripture. Paroxysmos. And the only other place it's used is in the book of Acts when we're told that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp contention that they split ways over John Mark. That word, contention, paroxysmos. That's crazy weird. Thank you for appreciating that, babe. That's why God gave you me. <laughs> it goes both ways. Dave Chalice, that's enough. <laughs> Let us consider. Even consider is important there. Because consider, it really means to observe carefully and closely and fully, to observe fully. To observe fully one another, that means that we have to know fully one another. We have to know each other. If you ever hope to stimulate somebody to, to doing something, you better know them. Because what happens is in a lot of times, in a lot of church environments, we don't wanna know each other at all. We just wanna get each other doing what we think they should be doing. But before you can stimulate, you have to consider, you have to observe fully, and you have to know what makes each other tick. You have to know what my brother and my sister's strengths are, where their weaknesses are, where their Holy Spirit giftings are, what the call of God is on their life, where their burdens are, what keeps them up at night. And now when I know that, now, now we can talk about paroxysmas. Such, such, such a sharp contention. I believe that this act um, of stimulation can also be an irritation, one that blesses God. In fact, that's the literal definition is a provoking or irritation. Let us irritate one another in the love of the Lord. Yeah, John, you got that one down. 
John's going to be teaching a class on just how to, it's called Thorn in the Flesh Ministries. What a blessing. Thank you, Jesus, for my brother-in-law. Shout out about something. That's why he gave you to him. Yeah. That's why God gave you me. Let us irritate one another to love and good deeds, forsaking not the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. This is our job. Gathering together, it's our job. Well, Zach, it's just not that important to me. Well, who cares? It's important to God. Who cares if it's important to you or not? This isn't about what's important to you. It's about what's important to the Father. It always has been. The only reason why we're blood-bought, redeemed, and called saints is because it was important to him. This whole thing is about what he wants. Because what he wants is what's best for us. It's important to him. And he's entrusted it to us. This fellowship. This church. I love how um, Jackie Santos called a prayer meeting. And I want to invite everybody in this room to it. It's going to be this Thursday at 3 p.m. And I think next Thursday at 3 p.m. It'll be our last one, even though a lot of people will be delivering bread at that point. But she had such a burden from the Lord to pray, to bathe the sweet bread thing in prayer. And the Lord started showing her throughout scripture where God used inanimate objects as vessels of his glory, as vessels of his power. And, and she's like flying through scripture after scripture of where God chose to use this to impart this between this person and that person. And, and, uh, and there's so much, it's so deep. I'm not going to get into it right now. But she charges this prayer with what the Lord's shown her. And as we begin to pray, I sense this thing. It's not an intercessory team thing. It's not just a prayer team thing. It's a church thing to be irritated, to be provoked, to be stimulated so that love isn't just the world's definition of love, but that it's redeemed back into what God always intended it to be. And that good deeds aren't just, let's give out some bread, but good deeds are absolutely saturated in the glory and power of God. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the folks in this room and I thank you, God, for the way that I have been stimulated to love and good deeds by each one of them. I thank you, Lord, that, God, you give us each other because as we go through mountains and valleys, Lord, that there's someone there, there's someone there reminding me that it is not about my confidence, it's about the blood of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for that blood and I thank you that because of your flesh that was crucified, Lord, that a veil has been torn and a new and living way has been inaugurated for us. And God, it's my prayer this morning that we would not settle for just stepping inside the door. 
but that as your bride, we would rush the bedchamber, Lord, that we would rush the dinner table. God, that, that we could not get there fast enough to fellowship with you, to become one with you, to grow close to you, to draw near. God, I pray for those in this room who have wrestled with the, with the making themselves clean versus keeping themselves clean. And I pray that this morning, Lord, something would rise up in us that would, that would surrender ourselves to bath time with you, God, that we would surrender ourselves to the sprinkling of the blood and the washing of the water. And God, then we would take it upon ourselves, Lord, to steward the garments of white to preserve what has been prepared in our lives. How we love you. And we do hold fast to that confession. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Before you go, can we sing this song together? Jesus, Jesus. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Trusting in its grace this, this hour Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Come on, sing, are you washed? And are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless Are they white as snow? Aside the, the garments, garments that, are stained that are stained with sin, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There's a fountain flowing. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Come on, are sing. Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the blood. In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Come on, anybody watching it today? On your garments, spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. We'll see you Tuesday. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.